Hello, 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 and welcome to Capital Musings, your NCDR podcast, where we focus on fresh ideas that make finance work for the poor in the 46 least developed countries. I'm Eduardo Tanchoni, your host, and you can find Capital Musings on your preferred streaming platform or directly on our website, podcast.uncdf.org. It's never enough, so we continue on our celebrations for Women History Month, and today I couldn't be happier than to welcome Jenny Hetman, Policy Analyst at the OECD Gender Team and Coordinator of the DAC Gender Night. Welcome, Jenny. How are you today? Thank you so much, Eduardo. I'm very well, and thank you for having me. I hope you're well as well. Terrific. So let's jump right to it. Can you share with us three words that best describe your life journey thus far? And what does it mean to you, please, Jenny? Thank you. I really like that question. And my three words would be feminism, accountability, and resources. And what they mean to me is firstly feminism. Obviously, for me, that has to be the first word. For me, that's about equality. It's about everyone having the same rights and choices and opportunities, no matter who you are or how you identify. And it's also about how we all can support this and how we can make it a reality. And that's that word and that concept. It's something that has shaped my personal and my professional life from quite early on. And then accountability, that's something that came into my life a little bit later, but has been really a theme throughout my professional life. I feel like we live and work in a world with a lot of statements and plans and promises for what we're going to be doing. So accountability for that is really important. And then linked to accountability is my third word, resources, because true accountability and accountability for feminists, actually, for me, starts with resources to implement. So it's about money, it's about knowledge, and it's also about having the human resources, the people in place. Very interesting, Jenny. So feminism, accountability, and resources. I really like the connection, the link that you put forward when it comes to looking at accountability. Like normally has, it may sound as in a very daunting element, but really you linked it up, especially for civil servants or anyone that in a work environment, especially when you link it to that, but highlighted the promises and making sure that it gives a little bit of hope and making sure that you have those hopes are based on grounds and resources couldn't be more important in achieving them, especially when it comes to the work that we do as international civil servants for the people that we serve. But this is Women's History Month. Let's go back to feminism and equality. So I'd like to dig deeper on that. Can you tell us a little bit more about your interest in gender equality, how it came about? So I think that I was a teenager when there were a couple of books written really by women that weren't that much older than I was at the time, came out on different themes relating to gender equality and to women's rights that really helped me put on the gender glasses, which I feel make you see the world in a slightly new and different way. So once you start thinking about what works for whom, who is heard and seen, when and how, and what is the discourse, and who gets to shape our society. So once you have those gender glasses, those gendered lens on, you can never quite unsee that. It stays with you, I think, for the rest of your life, but it certainly has and has shaped my professional life as well. 
How so? How do you see the world differently from reading those books and having that lens or that stream at that écran, as we would say in French, through which you see the world? How does it feel when you interact with others? Does it feel like a burden? Does it feel like as an opportunity? How do you share those lenses through which you see the world with in your daily life, especially professionally? I think it feels like something really positive and something that you can share with others. And sometimes in conversations, I really enjoy when you can tell that they too get it and start thinking in the same way a little bit. I think it's something really positive. I, I like, I like my gender glasses and I would love for everyone to have them. And I think it's something that can really be beneficial for all of us. All right. Then can you tell us a bit more about your work, the OECD? So most importantly for our conversation today, I think I'll focus on the work that we do on financing for gender equality and women's empowerment, because the OECD collects data on financing for development. That's part of our responsibilities is to collect data on official development assistance or DA or aid by members of the OECD development assistance committees of the DAC. And we also collect some data on what we call beyond aid, so blended finance, private flows, mobilized for development and funding from private philanthropy as well. So to understand how much of that goes to gender equality, we use a tool that we call the DAC Gender Equality Policy Marker. And so when a DAC member or another development partner design a program or an investment, we ask them to think about whether or not that program or investment addresses gender inequalities. And if it does, they're asked to tell us if gender equality is the main, the only objective of the program, so it's dedicated to gender equality, or if gender equality is one of several other objectives. So if gender equality is integrated as one aspect out of several. And then they will report this to us. We collect these data, we put them back out into the public, and we also prepare analysis and policy advice based on these data. So this reporting, it's done mainly by the members, the 30 members of the OECD DAC. But today we also have other development partners who are using this tool, the, the DAC marker, and are reporting to us. So that's in particular private philanthropy. And the members of the 2X challenge, the DFIs and the banks that have committed to gender events investing, they have also now aligned their criteria with the DAC marker, and they will also be able to report to the OECD. So that's really good. And we do this together with a network of gender experts called the DAC Network on Gender Equality. So these are the gender advisors in the DAC member development agencies and ministries. But we also regularly bring in representatives from other organizations, so multilateral organizations, civil society, private sector. We have quite a large community there. And we have this platform for exchange and peer learning on gender equality, on financing for gender equality, but also far beyond that. We really think together more broadly about what, what is needed to be a good and effective development partner for gender equality and women's rights. Super interesting. Thank you for sharing, Demi. You've touched upon 2X Challenge, and we had the chance of chatting up in a previous episode with Jessica about uh, what it means and how it convenes different partners. I really like the categorization, how you simplified what it means to work on gender. How do you track whether gender is the main goal or whether gender is part of other goals? And this is very similar to, you talked about DAC countries 
and how the report on it, but also from the UN side, we have gender markers that up to a level three that we need to report on whatever project, whatever program that we implement. And it's part of the main requirements and something that we report on to the lead UN entity when it comes to gender equality, UN women that then shares this report on the wider UN system work towards gender equality. And just linking it back to those three words that you shared at the beginning, the resources of financing. Can you tell us a little bit more, what do you think are the main barriers to financing for gender equality? I think the barriers to the financing for gender equality clearly go far beyond the actual financing. And I think there's not really one single issue or a silver bullet here, but I do think that the barriers relate to and include a lack of understanding of why gender equality really is important and also probably competing priorities with other policy areas, a lack of capacity, and in some cases, I would say a lack of real will to allocate resources to gender equality. But it is interesting because what we see in our data is that it seems to be easier and there are less barriers to increasing funding that integrates gender equality. We, we really have a positive story to tell around how the share of aid, at least the bilateral gap, that integrates gender equality is constantly on the rise. And today it stands at about 45% of overall ODA. So that could, for example, be an agriculture program that might have one component that makes sure that women fully benefit from this program. Maybe they do some type of analysis, some type of community-based dialogue and capacity development to allow women to take part in these activities and to benefit from the agriculture program. So this type of funding, you really see that it is increasing. On the other hand, that dedicated support for gender equality is not necessarily increasing that much, or at least very slowly. It stands at about 4 or 5% of bilateral ODA, and it remains quite constant at that level over the past decade. So that would be, for example, when we talk about funding for local women's rights organizations and countries, or program completely focused and dedicated to changing discriminatory gender norms. And of course, we need both. We need the integrated and the dedicated supports, but we can also, with our data, start to observe that it looks quite similar for other types of financial flows. So we did at the OECD a survey and study on blended finance for gender. And there were quite a lot of funds and facilities that said that they integrate gender inequality as one of the policy issues that they address. But out of the assets, under management, only 1% were dedicated to gender equality and women's empowerment. So that's quite a tiny share, I would say. So clearly those barriers that I mentioned, they apply particularly to this issue of increasing dedicated funding for gender equality as the main objective. But just to end on a more happy note, I do feel that things are really moving. We do see a lot of new commitments, a lot of new investments. So I actually... I hope that this dedicated funding too will increase and our data set lags behind about a year or so because it's a really large data set and there's a lot of quality control involved in the process. So hopefully over the next period, we, we may see some changes there. Very interesting. I think you highlighted a dichotomy that is very important, even more so than 
when you were describing the work that you do. Right now, when we hear about you know, refinancing and especially for bilateral funding partners, maybe financing, there's always this importance around gender. But then when you go into the bits of it and you look through what that actually entails, we're lagging behind. And I really liked the way that you were describing it in a way that it's not only a problem of capacity necessarily, it is one main aspect, of course, also lack of understanding what that entails. What does gender equality mean? I know it's a difficult question. It could be, but maybe can you give it a try to tell our audience and explain to our audience what gender equality is? Okay. I'll give it a try. To me, addressing gender equality in our programming and, and our investments is about thinking through carefully who benefits from a program. Do women and girls have the same access and gain the same benefits as men and boys from the program? It's also about ensuring that women and girls, to some extent, are included in shaping the program and, and get to have a voice in deciding what is it that we should be doing here. And I would want to stress that when kind of we as development partners design our programs, that we need to think carefully about the fact that women are half of the population or in some contexts, more than half of the population. So women aren't a group, but women are actually half of the people that are involved here and really need to be heard and need to have the same benefits from our investments and from our programs. Indeed, indeed. And uh, quite an important part of the population. So we talked about the barriers, right? And you were talking about agriculture as a sector where we could see a little bit more of lensing or mainstreaming when it comes to gender programming. Do you think that on a positive note, that any particular sectors that work on gender equality that well beyond targets or really nothing is working, we should really <laughs> move ahead and rethink entirely of what we're doing? Thank you for that question. There are certainly some sectors where we see a strong integration of gender equality objectives. That would be social infrastructure, that includes employment policies, housing, social protection. And as you said, it includes agriculture and rural development. So in those areas, around 60 or 70% of aid integrates gender equality. So I'm not sure that I would say that they are beyond target, but I think that we can celebrate them. I think it's a very good thing. Then there are other sectors where the integration and attention to gender equality is high. You might think that maybe it actually should be 100%. I'm thinking in particular about education and health. So in education, it's about 63%, and in health, it's about 52%. So those are high shares of the age that integrating gender equality, right? But I feel like maybe they should be at 100%. And then on the other kind of end of the spectrum, you do have a couple of areas where the gender integration is really low. Uh, I would highlight energy and humanitarian assistance where you have in the energy sector, only 15% of aid integrates gender equality and in humanitarian assistance, only 23. And, and in humanitarian assistance in particular, there's quite a lot of money there, but that very low share that integrates gender equality. So I do think that's an area where we need to do some more thinking and, and some more action. 
But yeah, if we, to celebrate, we can focus on agriculture and, and social infrastructure where donors are doing quite well. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's quite surprising to hear, you know, I learned something new as well. The gender equality mainstreaming on energy, I could see that, but for humanitarian assistance is very concerning to hear, especially on the different programming, how they've been reported. So I think that's something that we should highlight a little bit more and advocate for so that no one is truly left behind, especially in emerging contexts. All right. So like we did it under the sector site. From the policy perspective, or also programming, if we can, can you share with us what's currently working and you see evidence that is currently working and some other elements beyond sectors, so being a very sector agnostic that we could do better in the future? Starting with what is currently working, I feel like the commitment to gender equality and the leadership for gender equality today is great and something really positive. It's heartening to see all of these countries with feminist foreign policies, Germany being the latest country committing to a feminist foreign policy. And it's great to see banks and finance institutions committing to gender lens investing. So there's a very positive dynamic there. And I feel there's a very positive dynamic as well around working together, creating partnerships, uh, collaboration across different types of actors thinking together how we can do this. All of this is, is in my view, working really well at the moment. And it's a very dynamic area. Then in terms of what we can do better, of course, funding isn't everything and it's not enough. So that's why we at the OECD, we're right now developing guidance on gender equality and women's empowerment in development cooperation. And we're hoping that this will help development partners be more effective and help them achieve more transformative change for gender really. So this guidance, it looks at everything from having policies and strategies in place, doing a gender analysis in the design stage of a program, and it goes all the way to monitoring and automation and really everything in between. And we are also wanting to look at development partners' own institution. What about our internal policies? Uh, how gender equal are they? For example, human resource policies, and also what are the incentives within the development institution to work on gender equality? So we believe that this guidance will support development partners in their efforts to do more and better on gender equality. And it, we think that it will respond to much of this question around what do we need to do better? Super interesting to hear. And yeah, I think it's important and we're really thankful for institutions like UACD that work on guidelines. Because sometimes, to be quite frank, you may say, oh yeah, yet another guidelines, yet another thing that I need to follow. Ah, another rule regulation that you know, <laughs> I need to follow just to tick boxes. But actually, at least that's my personal experience that I'd like to share. I, when I was in the field, really like working through and you have a million things that you really need to be on the front line to respond to the different needs, right? And without those guidelines that I've prepared, like, you know, that's by institutions like the OECD, it would have been very difficult to fulfill, you know, other needs and other duties uh, uh, for that accountability perspective that you brought forward at the beginning. So, yeah, and I really thank you for that. But also not only looking at the programming per se, but really the leadership and our structured and I think gender HR strategies are so important to really ensure that there's diversity within the different teams 
and also that will bring there's so much research, there's so much content and results on that, that really bring different perspectives and really bring lasting change for the people that we serve. So now we're coming to a close, unfortunately, Jenny, can you share any last words that you want to share with our audience today? Well, I think my last word would just be that we are actually launching our latest data on financing for gender equality now in April. So I would invite um, listeners to stay tuned for that, because I think it will be interesting to see how the very latest figures look. But other than that, no, thank you so much. I really agree with your last point as well. Just this point that sometimes you feel like there's maybe too many sort of guidelines and, and papers out there. But I, I also feel like it's very important to have some kind of standard that people are accountable for. And so that we know what we are striving towards and where we would like to all be. Indeed, indeed. For who we are, what we are, what we're doing and for whom we are doing what we do. So thank you, Jenny. It's been an utmost pleasure having you with us. And thank you to our audience for tuning in to Capital Music's Gantidia podcast, where we focus on fresh ideas that make finance work for the poor. And now today, especially for women. Once again, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, and our dedicated website, podcast.uncdf.org. If you found this episode useful, please spread the word on Twitter with the hashtag Capital Musings or leave us a review. Reviews help us and new listeners discover our podcast. So if you enjoyed listening, please leave a review. Thanks and until next time. <laughs>